Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Hi everybody, welcome along to another episode of The Dispatches. It's great to be back with you. Let me just get all the preliminaries out of the way before we jump into today's topic of conversation. First of all, if you're not already a subscriber here to this podcast, wherever you're listening right now, hit that subscribe or follow button. That way you'll be updated every time we publish a new episode. And hey, we'd really appreciate it if you've been listening for a while now and you think, this guy's, uh, he's bearable. I, I, I can tolerate this guy. Uh, so if you're enjoying whatever the content is that we're putting out, then please give it a review. Uh, that really helps the podcast. So if your platform allows you to give us some stars, the more the merrier, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Or especially, I think, if your platform allows you to leave a comment about the podcast that can help other people guide them in their listening choices. So we'd really, really appreciate that. That's really helpful. If you want an extra episode of the podcast every single week, we have a a secret clubhouse edition uh, for for patrons only. It's an exclusive episode every single week. At the start of each week, we publish an episode exclusively for our patrons. And to get access to that special episode of the podcast every single week, all you have to do is become a patron of Left Foot Media at patreon.com forward slash Left Foot Media. The link is in the show notes for today's episode. If you contribute $5 or more per month, so that's the cup of a uh, that's the cup of that's the cost of a cup of coffee each month. You will get access to an extra four or five episodes of the dispatches every single month. Alternately, if you just want to leave a one-off contribution for this episode, there's also a link for you to do that in the show notes today. And lastly, but not leastly, check out our new website, watchlfm.com. That's watch w-a-t-c-h-l-f-m. Com. All of our content, the video, the podcast, everything that we do is on that website. And most importantly, you can sign up to our email list. Now, we don't send you spam. We don't regularly send messages to that list. But the reason that list exists is so just in case something happened and we were you know, censored off one of the major platforms, we could quickly let everyone know how they could continue to access all of our content. Lastly, but not leastly, can I just say, let's uh, just... Uh, dial things down a bit, uh, turn off the official script for a second. Uh, and let me just say a huge thank you to everyone who has been reaching out. It's it's almost on a, well, it really is, it's been on a daily basis that I will receive some form of correspondence from people who are tuning into this podcast, who are listening in, and who are telling me that they are uh, not just enjoying it, but they're finding um, solace, comfort, encouragement, motivation, all those good things from it. All glory goes to God for all of that. Trust me, it really does. Because I am, uh, gosh, I'm just like you. I'm trying to make uh, uh, sense of this. It's, you know, it is a really, really complex situation we find ourselves in. In the military, they would say it's VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. And in a situation like that, gosh, you know, things often really get out of hand and, you know, panic and fear and, and lots of loud screaming and all sorts of other things take over. And I'm just talking about me and my interior monologue there, <laughs> let alone what's going on outside. And so I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm sort of just struggling to grapple with this and come to terms with it and work my way through it. And in many ways, this podcast is me trying to share what I think in my very limited, trust me, it is very limited wisdom and very limited time on this earth, the things that I've learned, the resources that I'm drawing on through this. 
And uh, yeah, it, it's a blessing to me though to have your feedback. Uh, if you've been watching, uh, you know, when I post links on social media, it's not uncommon for me to cop flack and sometimes really strongly worded stuff, the stuff that I've deleted that you may not have even seen actually. But uh, yeah, it, it, so it really, really helps that there's just so many people who are behind the scenes um, who are reaching out. Um, look, I, re I really appreciate it. Thank you, your, your graciousness, your encouragement, people who have been getting in touch to let me know that you're praying for me. Look, you, you, yeah, it's a blessing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, yeah, let's just stay focused on goodness, truth and beauty. Let's keep nurturing and supporting each other. And uh, let's not buy into the division and the hatred and the lies. Let's let's just firmly ground ourselves in the truth and uh, keep looking out for each other on that journey and don't buy into any of the hate. And I think uh, the more of us that can commune together doing that, the better, really. Right. So let's jump into today's topic of conversation. How unreliable has the New Zealand media now become? Now, I'm actually going to read from an article today. I um I I had I had a whole other topic uh, planned for today's episode. If you were listening earlier in the week, you would have heard me say that the uh, other episode or the final episode of the podcast, which is today's one for this week, I was going to do an, an in-depth book review of that really good book, What Really Happened in Wuhan, that I finished reading last week, and that was my plan right up until about half an hour ago. So this very morning. And uh, I, I was sent a link to an article and I thought, no, I have to put that plan aside to book review, to do a book review for just a couple more days. We'll, we'll get onto that next week. And we need to talk about this issue instead because, um, yeah, this article is really quite astounding. It's an article written by someone who's a journalist working in the media. It's been published on Radio New Zealand. So not, you know, tinfoilhatsrus.com or anything like that. Uh, it's supposed to be our big, mainstream, reliable, trustworthy, truthful, you know, ethically sound media source. But it's publishing this sort of stuff, as you'll see in a minute, which is just, um, I, I don't want to be emotive or engage in hyperbole. Um, I really don't. I think it's important in a time of crisis, we try and have calm heads where possible. We speak truthfully. We speak with passion and vigor when that is necessary. But that shouldn't be a constant setting because otherwise I, I think it just tends to uh, drum up more uh, crisis and uncertainty and it tends to destroy peace and clarity of thinking for people. But I, I don't think it's unfair to say that this article is concerning, very concerning what it's actually proposing and, and where it's coming from. So um, hopefully you'll understand why I've said that as we go through this article. So let's read this together. It's called The Case for Cutting the Coverage of anti-vaxxers. Uh, it's in the Radio New Zealand uh, Media Watch section published by Hayden Donnell um, and it was published on the 28th of October to the Radio New Zealand website. So let's have a look at this. A wave of coverage followed the protesters in the so-called Hikoi of Truth as they drove north to Waitangi yesterday. Straight away you know there's a problem. The so-called Hikoi of Truth. That's exactly what the organisers have called it. And the only reason you would say so-called is because you have already set yourself up not as an objective observer and commenter on that group or their concerns or the issues involved in that. You have set yourself up in opposition to them. In other words, the so-called hickory of truth. But in actual fact, we all know it's a hickory of lies, right? That's the implication in phrasing things that way. 
When the convoy was stopped at the Auckland border, the media covered the traffic jams as they progressed north. Reporters called police to ask how disappointed they were with the event, which is an interesting thing to do in and of itself. What That already is prejudging the situation. It is loading the coverage against and uh, the, the people who are actually engaging in peaceful protest here, who are trying to have their voices heard, and who are clearly have got to a point of desperation where they feel this is the measure they have to take. Now, for me, this is not about whether or not I support their endeavours, but so far I've seen nothing to indicate to me that this is a dangerous, violent, unruly mob that that is an enemy of the people. But this is how this is sort of starting to be set up. And when you ring the police and say, well, how disappointed are you with this event? Straight away, you've already prejudged, and you want the police to tell you that they are disappointed. You're not, you haven't said, well, how do you feel about this? You've said, how disappointed are you? By the end of the day, most of the stories were centred around Tai Tokorau border control founder Hone Harawera's allegation that the hikoi was a scam run by Pakiha anti-vaxxers, uh, which, by the way, I've, I've seen some of their coverage, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't get that sense at all, that's for sure. The spin-off's Dylan Reeve added evidence to that assessment after infiltrating the group's Facebook page and finding participants spreading a bewildering array of conspiracy theories. Now, that's interesting that he would associate conspiracy theories uh, with, like, that's his evidence he's presented here for saying this is a Pakiha group. It's like, no, 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 lots of people believe these things. It crosses all racial boundaries. It's quite astounding to me that that, that somehow passed muster as being... <laughs> As, as being uh, reliable enough to put to print to put to print, uh, let alone even be you know something grounded in anything like the truth. Yeah, well, look, clearly I've 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 got evidence here that this is a, a secret Pakeha ploy, a group of white people. Uh, what's my evidence? Well, I went on their Facebook page and I found conspiracy theories. Uh, yeah, that, that that's not evidence of what you're claiming it to be evidence of. Even if they were running a ruse, even if they were running a ruse, gosh. <laughs> The Hikoi's organisers managed to win valuable coverage for their cause without any evidence of that. In fact, the evidence I've seen indicates the exact opposite to be true, but without any evidence that this is some secret nefarious. I mean, this is like, you want to talk about conspiracy theories? He is engaging in conspiracy theories here. This is a conspiracy theory he is espousing. These people, the, the, the really, the, the, you know, they're crisis actors. It's fake. It's not real. Trust me, they're stooges. You know, it's they've they've called it a Maori event. They've given it a Maori name, but it's not really a Maori event. It's secretly white people. This is all a scam. Trust me, I've, I I know that the white lizard people run this. You know that that's really what that is. And uh, yeah, there's no evidence. There's just no evidence for that. And when you actually listen and watch the events, I've been watching the events, and yeah, I don't see any evidence for this at all. They were far from the only anti-vax or vaccine hesitant group to hit the headlines recently. I suppose we should be grateful that he said or vaccine hesitant group, you know, because that term anti-vax now has just become a, a huge catch-all that is being used and applied to everyone who, regardless of what their actual position is. To be anti-vax is actually, it's got a very clear, I think, definition. To be anti-vax is to be someone who rejects all vaccinations, who doesn't uh, take, and even that might not be quite fair, but generally speaking, the, the understanding of that phrase is that it's a person who certainly rejects modern vaccines. 
Um, but to sort of just start applying it now, like I do for everyone who has concerns about, say, the Pfizer vaccine or the mRNA technology because it's so new and it is ultimately untested. We don't have a long-term profile for it yet. Uh, we will have in a couple of years, but for a lot of prudent people, they're just uncomfortable. There's there's a few little indications that there might be some safety issues that are not quite getting the coverage they should should be getting. There's huge corporate interests at stake here. There's a government that is acting in ways that are uh, completely over the top and unsafe. If you are someone who thinks is looking at this and thinking, okay, well, I'm looking for a bit of trust in the institutions who are telling me that you know I should get the jab, all these kinds of things. So it, it, it's that, that that's not that's not not someone who's anti-vax. That's someone who's just trying to prudently think their way through these issues and and then make a decision. In the past few weeks, Radio New Zealand and Stuff have carried a story on Auckland midwives campaigning against mandatory vaccinations for their peers. News Hub has covered 10 Taranaki midwives who say they may quit over the mandate. The Herald has written up a strange missive from former TV presenter Liz Gunn, who blamed the vaccination order for an earthquake in the North Island. Well, that's not actually quite what she did. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not in Liz Gunn's corner, but um, what Liz Gunn, and she explained this in the media, by the way, so there's no excuse for him reporting this. She was on News Talk ZB, where she actually explained her case and said, look, I'm a very poetic person. And I was just, it was, it's, you know, I'm speaking in sort of poetic metaphor and hyperbole. I'm, I'm, I'm not actually saying this was the cause of an earthquake. I'm, she's sort of speaking that very sort of poetic, the earth is crying out. And as she pointed out, if you... If you speak to, uh, you know, uh, the people of the land, the Tangata Whenua, the Māori people, they, they will tell you that kind of way of speaking about issues is not at all uncommon. It's absolutely not at all uncommon. So he hasn't even fact-checked himself really on that. And multiple outlets covered an unvaccinated GP who decided to quit her job over the vaccine mandate. The reasons for these stories are clear. The unvaccinated are currently at the centre of our response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Our ability to return to some semblance of normality is directly tied to their willingness to go down to the local pharmacy to get a jab. And the government is introducing a series of increasingly stringent... (laughs) Stringent. That's a very polite way of phrasing it. Stringent measures to compel them to literally take their medicine. The stories are popular with strong opinions on both sides. Just think about what he said there. It's just like it, it's just so seamlessly and effort, effortlessly. Look at that. I'm struggling with my words today. Ah, I can't pronounce my words properly on a Friday morning. Um, apologies. <laughs> Highly professional podcast. That's just so seamlessly and effluently. <laughs> no, effortlessly rolls off his tongue or his keyboard, I suppose we'd say in this case. But this is just astounding. Our ability to return to some semblance of normality is directly tied to their willingness to go down to the local pharmacy to get a jab. Do you not see how that is really, really unhealthy in a society to have that as the the norm? And secondly, it's not true. It's got nothing to do with them. It's the government uh, and the government and 
the government is introducing a series of increasingly stringent measures. No, it, it's actually gone into totalitarian measures now. And the, the, they are the reason. It's not and the, what the government is doing. It's the, the, the reason that you don't have a semblance of normality is because the government has dictated to us. We're actually at the moment deferring to a very, very small group of people. Some of them are unelected and unaccountable, the, the advisors. And effectively, we are all deferring right now, our entire nation, to one single person, the Prime Minister, for the basic fundamentals of, 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 of human movement and association and community. Like, that, that is really, really unhealthy. And that's a problem. And I don't think that actually should be happening. I'm, I'm, I've got an episode I'm, I'm sort of working on for possibly next week where I want to talk about this whole idea of, of zero COVID and lockdowns. And I, I actually think now the case is getting really strong, but this was a that they were actually a bad idea and that we're now having to pay a cost for those in all sorts of ways that is actually not good. It's, 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 inhum it's inhumane, it's, it's um, anti-human, in fact, uh, what's going on. But yeah, it, it, this shouldn't be happening. And then he says, uh, increasingly strident measures to compel them to literally take their medicine. I mean, think about the paternalistic condescending nature of that phrase, to compel them to literally take their medicine. These people are not children. They're rational adults. They have human dignity. That dignity should be respected. They are not wards of the state. And, and, and take your medicine. Well, what do you mean? These people have the fundamental right to bodily integrity. It's a very important thing. And this whole notion of just compelling people to take a medical therapy, when at the moment we don't have a full profile on that. I mean, it's just... Yeah, it's just astounding that, you know, clearly he doesn't really seem to see there's too much wrong with any of this. But the coverage of anti-vaxxers has the potential to popularise their misleading messages. That danger stems partly from how these stories distort reality. What reality are you referring to? If you've got reporters who are covering an actual event or people who are out saying things in public, that's reality. That's what it is. They are there telling us what's actually happening. That is reality. So when you say distort reality, do you mean distort the narrative? Do you mean distort the official version of what reality should be? And that if you don't en enhance or endorse or support that, then you're doing something wrong here. This is really, really Orwellian stuff that we're getting into. And you'll see by the end of the article, this is not the worst of it. The handful of GPs refusing the Pfizer vaccine are currently winning at least as much coverage as the 6,625 who have signed an open letter recommending it to all eligible New Zealanders. Well, that may be the case, but that's because they've signed their letter, they're out there, there are various medical uh, experts who are in the public arena speaking on this issue on a not just a daily basis, it's, it's, it's almost an hourly basis we're getting various story updates from them. But they signed a letter, they put it out there and they said their piece. What, on the other side now, what you've got is, is people who are expressing, by the way, it's not really the, the Pfizer vaccine so much, I think, as it's the mandate. If you actually look at what's happened in the last fortnight, it's the government overreach that is causing the response from these GPs and others. And it's not just GPs, and it's not just those who are not getting the vaccine. He's very cleverly framed that. In actual fact, I know a lot of vaccinated people who are also extremely concerned and are in opposition to the way the government is conducting itself right now. And that's because this isn't good. What they are doing is not helping. It's making this crisis worse. 
It is bad policy making. It is hugely dangerous and it's hugely disruptive in a time of medical or healthcare crisis. And it's all the things you don't want. And so it's and so what you have in a situation like that is, is people naturally are going to react to that. I haven't seen them reacting to the the six thousand six hundred twenty five signature letter. That that's not what they've been reacting back against. We're, and so that would be a fair um, sort of where you talk about balance. If you know one side was getting all the coverage of an issue and the other side, the other voice in that issue was was getting you know very little, yeah, then you've got a problem. But that's not what they're reacting to or responding to. They are responding to the vaccine mandates, and that's a very different thing from that letter. The midwives opposing the vaccine mandate have received far more coverage than the hundreds in support. Well, there's a couple of good reasons for that, um, not least of which is the fact that uh, we don't want to have ourselves in a healthcare crisis with a shortage of healthcare workers because the government has sacked them all because they refused to actually take a therapy that the government wanted them to engage in. And so that is, that is there's, there's definitely public interest in that. There's also public interest in hearing the voices of opposition to the government who, who are saying, hey, hold on, we're people too. We have rights and they should be considered. I mean, unless, of course, he doesn't think these people have human rights and that they shouldn't be considered because it sounds suspiciously like that's what he might believe in this situation. Thanks to our innate inability to properly weight these numbers, that can make vaccine hesitancy seem far more widespread than it is among health professionals who most people view with a high degree of trust. Well, in actual fact, I don't think that's like I don't think anyone looking at the current coverage in the media reporting on this would think that that there there is this massive degree of vaccine hesitancy among medical professionals. One thing that I do know, because I've actually heard quietly behind the scenes from fully vaccinated medical professionals who are not at all happy with the mandate. They recognise the danger in this and they recognise that this is not good governance. And that's the issue. It's not really vaccine hesitancy that people are fixated or focused on or raising issues about at the moment. That's not the issue. This is people who are saying, hey, you can't treat us this way. We're human beings. We are full and, you know, uh, responsible members of the society. We're not criminals. We pose no threat to anyone. We haven't done anything wrong. You, you shouldn't be treating us like pariahs. And not just that, but to do that to a group of people is really dangerous. It's absolutely shocking. I sat and watched with uh, absolute shock last Saturday morning as the Prime Minister told a journalist that, yes, yes, she was actually creating, deliberately trying to create two classes of people and to privilege one class above the other. The, the I'm sure many of you have seen the clip by now, but one uh, the journalist said, I'm sure you won't see it this way, but this is creating two classes. And she said, yep, absolutely, that's what I'm doing. And it, it's just the way she said it, the fact that she said it, you know, she just admitted what is, uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it is shocking. Like Sir Russell Coates was right with what he said this week and what he, his public statements were absolutely on the money. Um, Sir Dave Dobbin uh, last week when he talked about, I thought we were fighting COVID, not our fellow human beings. Absolutely right. Uh, John Minto, who's come out against the mandates, absolutely right. They are absolutely right. When you've got a disparate group of people, you know, different political views and opinions and philosophies and ideologies that, that are all coming together on a single issue to sound alarm, that, that's, that's worthy of our attention saying, well, why would so many diverse people all be coming together to warn, to sort of try and warn and, and, and publicly speak out against something? That there, There's something there that we should at least investigate more deeply. 
but this guy doesn't really seem to be interested in that. Um, instead, instead he's he's sort of created this sort of false dichotomy about what's actually going on and, and misrepresented it. Even the most sceptical stories on anti-vaxxers can help reinforce misinformation. During Donald's Trump rise to US president, the media obsessively covered his every pronouncement, no matter how controversial or inaccurate. Much of that coverage was negative or heavily fact-checked, which is interesting in and of itself, is who appointed the media the, like, the arbiter of truth. It's, it's, you know, media ethics say you shouldn't deliberately be saying untruthful things, but to, to have the media then sitting over people as fact-checkers, what that often means is, and it just it became the sort of the running joke really at the end, that they'd set themselves up as the opposition party to Donald Trump. They'd completely destroyed media credibility, and they have going into a pandemic by doing that. And and he's sort of, um, here he is sort of reinforcing those kind of behaviours. It's it's not the job of the media to actually be this sort of, um, this ruler of the voice of, of what is true and what is not. They've got to do their best to try and report truthfully and accurately, but what he's talking about here is something different altogether. But the media found that even if they condemned a lie, giving it attention helped it spread. The solution, arrived at too late, or not at all by the many outlets, was to not platform the lies in the first place. So this is very convenient. What you do is you say, I've determined that this person's a liar or that this thing is a lie, and we're not going to give it any coverage. Uh-oh. <laughs> At that point, you know, your radar, your antenna should be spinning around in wild circles when that's the media talking. That, that, that's the media now doing something that it really should not be doing. It's deciding what voices it will present to people. And the moment you do that, the moment you do that is the moment. Now, obviously, there's, there's, there's going to be times where the media shouldn't give coverage to voices because there's no public interest in that. But when there is public interest and when we're talking about political leaders, I really think that this paternalistic, authoritarian um, and condescending, it, it ultimately is, we've decided what's good for you and we'll, so therefore we'll actually um, slant our coverage. You're not doing media at that point. You're not. As I said, you're an opposition party. You are now running interference for an ideology, a campaign or an opposition political party. That's what you're doing. You, you don't have to agree with or even like or even, you, you might not even countenance the thought of stomaching Trump. Now, I totally get that. You know, as a guy who, who really did like to, to bloviate and, and just say outlandish things, and I understand why people are like, oh, you know, and, and sort of recoil at that sort of stuff. But you, you can still hold that view and at the same time recognize that this kind of behavior from the media is really dangerous. It's, it's not actually good at all. And here we get to the crux of it. A similar argument could apply to stories about the groups protesting vaccinations. Their ideas have been discredited by just about every professional with any expertise. Well, first of all, that's not how science works, by the way, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. You know, you know, the experts have spoken, but and that's the end of the matter. That again, especially in a novel virus, when we just know so little and we're still trying to work our way through it, to just say, well, we're not going to accept voices that contradict that. That's so dangerous. That is not how you do science, and it's certainly not how you get good healthcare outcomes at all. It's how you get a myopic, closed echo chamber where people get stuck doing things over and over again and refusing to listen to sound evidence or voices who are proposing other ideas because you're just stubbornly, wrong-headedly believing that your biased view of what should or shouldn't be done is the only truth here. 
And there's great danger in that, extreme danger in that. Now, first of all, again, as I said, these groups are not protesting vaccinations. That happened earlier on. And those anti-vax groups just disappeared quietly into the ether. These people are actually protesting for their legitimate human rights to, to maintain their own bodily integrity and to be able to choose without losing their jobs, without being excluded from the public life, without really a lot of the big thing I've heard from most of them is the concern about this apartheid, medical apartheid system that is being proposed for our country. And they're right. They're absolutely right. I've come around really strongly on this now. At first, when I heard that word medical apartheid or apartheid being used, I was like, oh, no, I think that's hyperbole. You're going too far there. No, I'm really very much clearly now after the last couple of weeks and what's going on, that's absolutely what's going on. And, and I've got no problem publicly saying that now that this is very serious and it's a problem. Uh, that we shouldn't be endorsing. It's, uh, yeah, gosh, it's a real danger and the outcomes, we're not going to like it. I think we're going to look back on this with shame. We absolutely are. As New Zealanders, we're going to look back on this moment and we're going to say what the government did and what we allowed them to do was just shameful. What we, uh, what a, a, a silent majority went along with was was shameful. It is to our nation's shame that, that this actually happened because it's, yeah, it's just shocking. But here he is saying that we should actually silence these voices um, and they shouldn't be given any coverage. Platforming them in any way gives them oxygen. If media companies are serious about goals like vaccinating 90% of our eligible population, it could help to excise these stories from their pages. Think about what he has just said there. That is truly astounding for, for two really serious reasons. So l- listen to this. Platforming them gives them oxygen. In other words, it allows their voices to be heard. These are citizens who have a concern, and clearly there's a lot of them and a lot of people who are behind them not speaking who share these concerns. So he's saying we shouldn't be platforming them. They shouldn't be allowed to have a voice in our society. And then listen to what he says here. If media companies are serious about goals like vaccinating 90% of our eligible population, it could help to excise these stories from their pages. In other words, we should censor, we should do an Orwellian memory holding of what is actually going on and and present a lie to the people of New Zealand. We will present only the government narrative and anything that contravenes the government narrative must not be told to the New Zealand people. This, like I said, this is astounding that you've got a journalist and you've got the Radio New Zealand uh, actually hosting and thinking that this would be a good thing to actually publish. And remember, I warned about this. I warned about this in a previous episode of the podcast. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to my podcast about whether or not media companies should be engaging in vaccination drives. And I warned that this would be the very issue. I said that they're crossing a boundary now, that public health campaigns should be run by public health authorities, not by the media, because there's a serious conflict of interest there. And that conflict of interest could well give rise to a situation where they don't tell the truth about, I guess, vaccines and vaccine-related issues and research that starts to challenge that narrative or that strategy because they themselves are now invested in the strategy and are trying to run the strategy. They are running a campaign, and, and the media just shouldn't be doing that. And here's proof of why not. He's saying, well, if they're serious about goals like vaccinating 90% of our eligible population, just think about the insanity of that statement. Why, in heaven's name, why? Why would a media outlet be have a goal of vaccinating 90% of anyone? 
or any group. I mean, maybe their own staff, but that's about it, right? That's an internal matter. But beyond that, no media outlet should have as one of their goals, you know, report the news, you know, provide good coverage and uh, try and get uh, 90% of the population vaccinated. What? That's not a media goal. It's just there's nothing legitimate about that. And this is, this is the very danger that I warned about uh, in that, that previous podcast. Sometimes, though, the actions of the vaccine hesitant are genuinely newsworthy. Sometimes, though. Well, gosh, I'm, I'm glad we sort of got at least that minimal concession. Sometimes they're genuinely newsworthy. Those 10 Taranaki midwives threatening to quit over the vaccine mandate represent nearly 20% of the region's workforce, and losing them could have an impact on people's health outcomes. Bingo. And that straight away is why, let alone the other issues around legitimate human rights and respect for uh, bodily integrity and the dangers of having a compulsory, forced, medicalized program where people are losing their jobs, are being sacked, are losing their ability to pay mortgages and feed their families if they don't make a choice uh, in the medicine that the government wants them to make. These are really, really serious things. The whole idea of transhumanism, of of um, of technocracy, of marrying people to uh, mixing, uh, mixing vaccine technologies, and 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 on an ongoing process, and 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 through uh, sort of a inserting of technology into the human experience and human existence. You know, have you scanned your vaccine? passport code here, well then you can't come in. I mean this is dystopian, it's Orwellian, it's not healthy, it really isn't healthy. There's no end date in sight. I mean I think probably a lot more of us would have a greater degree of comfort if there was some clear cutoff for all of this madness, but there's no there's no in- indication that that's even coming. They're giving themselves a level of power that they would quite happily at this stage keep exercising. That is really, really unhealthy. It's so dangerous. This whole situation is really, really not good. And and the reason we don't recognise that is because of the fact that we've been in a myopic soup of fear-mongering and we've been boiling in that pot so long now that we think now, uh, 12 months, 24 months later, we, we, we think this is normal. It's not normal. It shouldn't be happening. But it's a situation of crisis that has distorted reality for us to, to make us vulnerable in that regard. Covering a story like that one well could mean restructuring it to ensure there's less potential to mislead the audience. Again, this is just blatant Orwellian uh, repackaging of the truth. We will tell you what we want to tell you. We won't tell you the truth, the whole truth. We'll tell you part of the story, and then we will actually frame that story in the way that best suits the government narrative or agenda. That is not media coverage. That is absolutely shocking that a journalist is speaking like this. It's really, really serious. This is not good at all, because I guarantee if they're doing it in one place, they're quite comfortable to do it all over the place. In the US, linguistics professor George Lakoff advocated for a truth sandwich. Well, that's an Orwellian term if ever I heard one. And let me explain to you what this Orwellian truth sandwich is. Stating the truth first, then a lie then the truth again. Some New Zealand journalists have employed a similar strategy. In a story this week on vaccine hesitancy, one news reporter, Katie Bradford, placed a quote from Liz Gunn in between on-camera monologues about disinformation and the growing infodemic. Stuff's Tony Wall regularly interrupted his feature on vaccine hesitant Thames Mayor Sandra Gowdy to fact-check her and her husband's false claims. 
what he is doing here is he is admitting to us, the public, that they, the media, are engaging in propagandistic behaviors, that they are not simply reporting to you, that they are abusing the principle of balance. In fact, they are violating that principle. They're not giving equal airtime, and they are deliberately trying to lead you into one particular view or voice, that they are giving them preference, and they are leading you towards that. And by the way, this hasn't just been happening for COVID. It's been going on for several years now in this country and overseas. If you go and listen to my previous podcast about the different types of media bias, I specifically highlight this is one of the types of media bias that we can be exposed to. And here is a journalist not only admitting that they are actively doing this, as I've said in my previous podcast that they are, but he's also given clear examples, very recent examples, where they have done exactly this. They are not reporters. They are editorializing. This is biased. This is not balanced coverage. This is them preaching to you. They are preaching a message to you that they want you to accept. That is not journalism. It is not balanced. It is not ethical. It is a form of deception, and it's a form of propagandizing. It is not good at all. The person is being psychologically and intellectually manipulated and sometimes emotionally manipulated, depending on the tone of the coverage as well. And that is just not good. And how any journalist could sit there and just feel comfortable publicly saying this. Like I said, they've been doing this for a long time. The euthanasia debate, the abortion debate, they did this. They did this exact same thing. This is really, really unbelievable that someone is putting this to print, not only saying that here's the examples of it happening, not only saying this is a good thing, but actually recommending that journalists should actually be doing this. No, they shouldn't. If, if that's what they're doing, they are suffering employment identity confusion. They don't know what their job is. They need to quit right now, go and become politicians or activists. Stop what you're doing because you're not doing journalism. You're absolutely not. This is not healthy ethical, uh, rational, journalistic behavior in the slightest. This style of coverage is likely uncomfortable for some New Zealand reporters. Oh my gosh, some, I'd hope for most, but the fact that he says some there indicates how corrupted the New Zealand media has now become in this regard and their inability to just do their job properly and to tell the truth. This style of coverage is likely uncomfortable for some New Zealand reporters, who seldom have to deal with the kind of hyperpartisan, truth-averse sources common in US politics. This is just him trying to justify it. These people aren't truth-averse. If that's your mentality, what you've got there is you've straight away framed your view of reality, your ideology, you've said is the infallible truth. The narrative from the state is and should not ever be challenged in any way. Making truth claims within a story may appear to breach a journalistic standard, objectivity uh, may appear. No, 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 it does. And it's more than just making truth claims, by the way. It's the fact that you are deliberately, deliberately crafting the story to favor one side over the other, to deliberately discredit one side over the other. So you're not letting the evidence discredit one side or the other. You are trying to actively discredit one side. That is, that's, that's, it's more than just making truth claims here. And this is, I mean, it's objectivity, it's balance, it's bias. I mean, the fundamentals, like you're not even doing journalism anymore. 
It's not just one standard you've breached. You've breached the very concept of journalism. You're not doing journalism anymore. I mean, it's just that simple. You're not. But that standard is ripe for abuse by bad faith actors and has been used in the past to pressure newsrooms into repeating lies or platforming climate denial. So here we go. This is him admitting that this, not only should this be used for other issues beyond COVID, but in actual fact, the way that sentence is phrased implies that he has or knows of people who have participated in this behaviour with other issues where they have actually not allowed dissenting voices to be heard. Again, that is a troubling admission, if that is actually the case. It certainly seems to be what's uh, between the lines in that sentence. Failing to correct fact-free arguments can mean credible news organisations become unwitting vectors for misinformation. What do you mean? The, the job of the media is not to present a narrative or a story or the truth. If it was, then yeah, that would be a problem. The, the job of the media is to truthfully and accurately report issues of public interest. That's what their job is. And that means balance, objectivity, them not imposing their ideas, all of those kinds of things. And, and so this idea you can become an unwitting vector for misinformation, well, well, who gets to decide what is truth and what is misinformation in this situation? Who gets to decide that? And I imagine, well, in this stage, he seems to be saying, well, the, the government will tell us what's true. I mean, <laughs> this is just crazy that a journalist thinks that this is actually safe, healthy, normal behavior. It's just, it's crazy. It is just a whole nother level of crazy. In these circumstances, so-called neutral reporting can actually work counter to another much more fundamental journalistic value, telling your audience the truth. That's the final sentence. Let me read it again, because that is, again, I mean, he finishes in the most astounding and shocking fashion possible. In these circumstances, so-called neutral reporting can actually work counter to another much more fundamental journalistic value, telling your audience the truth. No, no, no. The job of journalists is not to tell us an ideological or philosophical position. That's, he's calling that the truth, but that's not. What he's really meaning is that he believes it's the job of journalists to tell you, to preach to you, to actually share a philosophy, a theology, an ideology with you, and that that's what they should be promoting. No, because if a journalist actually reports neutrally, as best as they can. I mean, no bias, you know, is impossible. You can't really avoid any and, and all bias. You're going to have some bias creep in. It's just human nature. But if they do their best to not allow their biases to, to corrupt their reporting and they present a relatively neutral piece of journalism, their reporting is relatively neutral, it's balanced, it's fair, both sides are being heard, then guess what? They are telling their audience the truth because their job is not to represent an ideology. Their job is not to preach. Their job is to report. And reporting means, um, I guess the best example would be uh, like a, um, a visual moving image, like a camera. If I take a video camera somewhere and I just show you everything that's happening, I turn the camera on and I, I broadcast that to you. I am reporting truthfully there. But if I take that camera and I zoom in and narrow in the focus and I only focus on one person or one group and their actions, or I do it in such a way as it misrepresents the full truth of what's happening, I am doing what he wants us to do. 
I am reporting an ideology, an idea, a concept to you, but I am not actually being truthful to my audience. I am not telling you the truth at all. And that's what he's proposing here, that we should zoom in, narrow, selectively choose what we tell people. And then he's going to claim that that's truthful reporting. It's not truthful reporting at all. It is absolutely shocking. As I said, I'm, I'm ho I hope you can see now why I postponed today's topic to actually unpack this article because it's just, I mean, yeah, it's just astounding. I, I've been warning people for years now in my media training that I do with individuals and organizations. Uh, I've been saying, look, things have changed dramatically. When I first started, I was a media spokesperson about 17 years ago for an organization, and then I moved into uh, uh, media training some years later. And I now regularly do that for groups and individuals and and uh, and I have to just give them the basics of how to engage well with the media. And one of the things I do now that I never had to do even five years ago was just warn people, look, unfortunately, the trust levels in the media are now are so low that you really, unless you know a journalist personally and or you have a, 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 a genuine reliability in their, in, of trust in their track record, you have to now assume that you may be misrepresented, that you falsehoods may be told about you. There may be a lack of balance and objectivity that they won't treat you fairly. You just have to assume and you have to go in with that assumption now because otherwise you have let your guard down too much and you will be in a very risky position. Now, that, that's astounding that we should uh, be in a situation where I'm having to tell people that. I, I wish I wasn't. I, I could tell you story after story after story after story just to highlight why I tell people that now. But... That's what we've come to. And, and this is why. This is exactly why. This is a classic example. This article is a classic example of what they call saying the quiet part out loud, where he's just, he's effectively pulled back the curtain and said, hey, here's what we're really up to. And here's the thing. This is what makes this so astounding. This is not just a, a layman off the street. Like imagine if some Joe Bloggs wrote an op-ed like this and it was published somewhere. You'd think, oh, you know, that's crazy. But what we've got here is a journalist, a journalist who has standing, a journalist who has published an article admitting and saying all of these kinds of things. And not only does he feel comfortable in expressing, expressing such alarming ideas out loud, but Radio New Zealand, what is supposed to be one of our premier and most reliable and trusted media outlets, feels absolutely comfortable publishing this. This should tell you, if people are comfortable saying these things out loud, that means we're in a very bad situation. It means that the mask is off because they feel comfortable now. They are wielding a level of power and control, and he seems to have no fear of ostracization from his peers for saying these kind of outlandish things. And I think the reason why, that's why he talked about some, only some journalists being uncomfortable, because I think instinctively he knows now that he's surrounded by a lot of people in the media who don't understand Media Ethics 101 and who are violating these principles left, right and centre. See, this kind of stuff here, this is the fruit of the we will be your single source of truth ideology that, I mean, it's just astounding to me that still New Zealanders swallowed that without screaming from the rooftops, no, no, stop this. This is extremely dangerous. Our Prime Minister has crossed a serious line here, let alone everything else that's gone on after that. But, but the fact that she came out and publicly said, we will be your single source of truth. Don't believe anyone else. Just come to us and we will tell you what is true and what is false. Uh, and, and so that, that's a, an offshoot of that ideology, and it's also an offshoot of, of, of media funding, of, of government 
funding of the media, where where a person is just now uh, representing the, the the will of the state and claiming to be a journalist. It's Pravda. It, it's <laughs> that Russian publication that was an arm of the state. It's not the fourth estate, it's the fifth column. That's what they are. They're inside a society uh, and they're not acting in the best interests of truth and they're not acting at all in the best interests of, of uh, accountability. They are undermining uh, you know, a free, just and stable uh, human society by this kind of behavior. So a little exercise that might help you to sort of clarify this would be to, to go through that again and just substitute the, uh, the words out of this or change some of the words. So instead of saying the case for cutting the coverage of anti-vaxxers, imagine if the headline was the case for cutting the coverage of people who oppose the government. And, 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 and use that as your framing and your phrasing all through the story. And you will start to see what the problem is here because that's exactly what he's doing. That this article isn't so much a, I wish this was the case. This is more an, a, a, an admission. It's a public admission of what is now regularly happening in our media. And it's just astounding. Like he's, here he is effectively saying, we should not allow voices that dissent from the government to be heard. That's what he has said in there. It, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I just, I don't mean to, to lose my call here, but man, let me, let me quote to you from a book that I'm reading at the moment called Science Fictions by Stuart Ritchie. If you're lucky, I might review it on a future episode, but this is a particular quote. He's, he's quoting something else here, another piece by a guy called Stephen Novella. There is also legitimate concern that totalitarian governments do not create an environment in which science can flourish. Science requires transparency, it requires valuing method over results, and it should be ideologically neutral. These are not concepts that flourish under a totalitarian regime. Also, the scientists who get promoted to positions of respect and power are likely to be those who please the regime by proving, for example, that the regime's cultural propaganda is real. So the selective pressures for advancement do not prioritise research integrity. Now that quote was referring to China, and it's specifically to science, but it's not just China that that applies to, and it's not just totalitarianism, it's also authoritarianism where you get that problem. And so in one sense, this is what this article is doing. What this article is doing that I've just read to you is that it's, it's actually prioritizing government edicts about science. It's not actually prioritizing science because science doesn't seal off uh, a hypothesis from uh, investigation, inquiry, further discovery, further questioning. It doesn't do that. It doesn't. So when people say the science, what I really hear is, have you met my Lord and Savior, the science? And what they really mean is the infallible, unassailable, unquestionable dictates about scientific things. That This is politics, not science. And so first of all, that's what he's doing there in this, this uh, op-ed piece, is he is treating these, well, it's not just science, really. He's, he's treating government policy as if it's infallible and beyond reproach, which is, you know, shocking enough in and of itself. But what he's also doing is this, I think, equally applies to the media. And that under authoritarian regimes, what happens is, and especially when you've got media funding, what happens is that 
that the media is then jeopardized as well because the advantage goes to the journalist who actually favors what the government is saying. The advantage goes to them. They are given the preference. They are given the special invites to the big boys' dinner table, right? They are given special question rights and privileges at question time. Yet all those kinds of things, they're given special access. It's dangled as a carrot in front of them. It's just so, so unhealthy. This is extremely dangerous. He is effectively saying here that we should have uh, a controlled media. He's effectively saying that in some places we've already got that. And you don't want a controlled media, that's for sure. And you definitely don't want a controlled media in a time of crisis. You absolutely don't. You want a media in a time of crisis that is actually doing its best without screaming and irrational behaviors and you know setting the house on fire, but is doing its best to actually, actually provide balanced and fair coverage of the different voices in the midst of this. As I said, I'm going to present an episode next week where I'm going to talk about why I think lockdowns now, the evidence is really strong, that they're a bad idea, that they were always a bad idea, and that they've actually done great harm. But at the moment, you know, to even make that claim, it's starting to loosen up a little bit, but to even make that claim initially, you know, you were shut down, people were treated as pariahs. That is not good. That is really not good. And actually it turns out now that those people should have been listened to a lot more. But we didn't do that because we allowed the media to act and the government to act as a single source of truth, an authoritarian, Orwellian, complete and total voice, uh, not just externally, but internally of, of what we should or shouldn't believe. So how do we respond to this? Well, let's not just uh, scream at the darkness. Let's light a little bit of a candle here as well to try and dispel some of that darkness. Whenever you're engaging with the media, as I've said previously, you must always measure twice and cut once. Be very, very careful about what is being said to you. Analyze it carefully and actually try and read more than one source. And also, if you can, try and go to the sources that they are quoting or referring to and see what they've actually said. Try and hear the people who are being quoted in their own voices. If something seems too good to be true or too outlandish to be true, it's probably not true. And so it requires an extra level of scrutiny. But I think we really need to adopt as our standard posture now a prudent and very cautious approach to the mainstream media and what they are telling us. Because it's one thing to have groups where they, their bias and their position is very clear. You can then filter that with a degree of certainty and honesty. You know what's going on, right? But when you've got groups that are pretending to be objective, who in this article he's saying they're not, then you've got a really serious problem on your hands. It, it, and, and it's, yeah, it, it's, it's Orwellian, it's propagandistic, it's dangerous. It's really, really dangerous in that situation. You've got a large group of people who believe that they are being the uh, being told the, uh, the honest and balanced truth when in actual fact, as he's saying here, that's not the case a lot of times at all. Uh, that's really, really dangerous. I would encourage you to listen to all sides. At the moment, there's lots of different voices saying different things. And one thing I've tried to do is I'm not going to get into the echo chamber. So I'm listening to people who are sort of staunchly pro-vaccine. I'm listening to people who are in the middle. I'm listening to people who are right on the fringes on the other side. And it's interesting when you do that, you actually start to get a sense that really a lot of their concerns are actually about the way they're being treated, that they are good people with ideas that we might not agree with, but they are just concerned by the way they're being treated. And I think they have every right to be. And they're raising alarm bells, by the way. I think in some ways they are like canaries in a coal mine that we don't really want to look at because I think if we see the canary starting to, to gurgle and fall over in its cage, 
you know, our instinct is at the moment to say, no, 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 it can't be the case. It's all good. These people are crazy. The bird is faking it. Just ignore the bird. It's, it's all fine. When in actual fact, we should. And under any other normal circumstances, we would be saying, yeah, this isn't good. This isn't healthy. But because we are right now in a, a time of great crisis, a myopic soup of, of fear mongering we've been drowning in, I would suggest that our vision of reality has been distorted and that's hurting us and our ability to discern clearly. So listen to all sides. Actually listen to people at the very least. You don't have to engage with them. Just listen. Get a handle on what they're saying. And when you do that, I've discovered, you actually start to get a handle on what they're really all about. And it's often a lot more balanced and you and you realize you can actually calm down a bit and be a lot more relaxed than often what is breathlessly being thrown around in the public square about different groups and individuals. And lastly, I would say, do your best to be an oasis of calm in a raging sea. So do your best to, you know, there's moments where you have to have that conviction. You've probably heard that in today's episode. I I spoke with conviction and I think quite strongly at different points in this podcast. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's appropriate where it's appropriate to do that. But that shouldn't be our normal constant setting. And we need to ensure that we have an interior life that is being nurtured um, and for me, as a man of faith, that means starting my day with a reflection on the Christian scriptures and some basic sort of meditative questions to contemplate what you know where my compass is set. Am I actually pointing in the right direction? And 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 also just um, moments of calm throughout the day, walking away from social media, spending time with the family, doing things so you're not just pulled into that raging sea constantly. That you realise that you know that there's more to it than just this. And then what that does is I think that allows you when you're in the midst of the raging sea to just be a little bit better at being an oasis of calm. Not always easy. And by the way, I'm, I'm making just as many mistakes as you are. I'm not a saint. I'm not perfect. It's, it's you know, some days, gosh, it's really hard. But I think if we can strive to be that oasis of peace and not buy into the division, the hatred, the lies, then yeah, it's, it's so important right now. It is so important that we've got people who are, are actually willing to, to live as an oasis of truth, of goodness, and of beauty in the midst of the storm. It's so, so very essential. That's why I sign off the podcast the way I do each episode, which reminds me, that's all I want to say. <laughs> so that's the end of today's episode. Thank you again for tuning in. Don't forget, if you want to get an extra episode of the podcast every single week, the link for how to become a patron is in the show notes. There's also a link if you want to make a one-off contribution for just for this episode. You can do that as well. A huge thank you to all of our patrons. Thanks to you, today's episode was made possible. Thanks for tuning in. I will see you next time on The Dispatches. And don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. The Dispatches podcast is a production of Left Foot Media. If you enjoyed this show, then please help us to ensure that more of this great content keeps getting made by becoming a patron of our work at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Link in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time on The Dispatches. Mm-hmm.